Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I expect you've heard various different references to the John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act, which was signed by President Trump in a ceremony in which he did not refer to John McCain by name. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, press secretary for the president, later referred to this act, and she too did not mention John McCain by name. Curious things going on, but so what is it that was in this particular National Defense Authorization Act? Well, many things, as you might guess, might suppose, but among those things was the following, quote, The United States should strengthen defense and security cooperation with Taiwan to support the development of capable, ready, and modern defense forces necessary for Taiwan to maintain a sufficient self-defense capability, end quote. That is contained within this John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act. What is the significance of that? Well, no doubt you recall the protest by the communist Chinese regime following President-elect Donald Trump speaking on the telephone with Taiwan's female president, Tsai Ing-wen, and it was criticized scathingly, lambasted in various different exceedingly well-known rags across this country and uh, seen as being terribly irresponsible of the new president-elect to do such an inflammatory thing as that. What was shocking to me was how very, very, very long it has been since the United States, in the person of the president of the United States, has even deigned to communicate with leadership of Taiwan. This in deference, this in appeasement of the vicious, ruthless, bloody communist regime of mainland China. It's nothing short of scandalous. Not what the president-elect did, but what every administration has capitulated to and has been party to. Going back to when our esteemed president, Richard Milhouse Nixon, clinked glasses, champagne glasses or flutes or whatever there with that monstrous mass murderer, Mao Zedong. But 
I digress. So what is in this act? Well, in addition to bolstering military backup support for tiny Taiwan off the coast of giant and exceedingly populated communist China, in addition to that, it does the following. It broadens the scope, the reach of the committee that reviews foreign investments within this United States of America and that this review is pertaining to national security concerns. Communist China has gotten away with murder, as it were, for decades now in terms of what it has been allowed to do in terms of investing in the United States of America. You know, so much ballyhoo has been made concerning Putin's Russian Federation's meddling in whatever respect in the political process. Nothing has been said about the massive amount of spycraft engaged in by communist China now for decades in this nation. And the number of communist Chinese spies in this nation dwarfs the number (laughs) that there ever were from the Soviet Union. But most favored nation China, thou shalt not speak ill of communist China. The idea, and I am entirely in favor of the United States of America lending whatever support it can to tiny Taiwan, but the idea that tiny Taiwan is going to be able to defend itself from the 800-pound gorilla of communist China is just not realistic, not humanly speaking. Now, if God intervenes and miraculously delivers and defends Taiwan as he has with Israel, okay. Because it is an exceedingly similar situation with tiny Israel surrounded by the vast, vast hordes, multitudes of the Islamist regimes who have always been hell-bent on annihilating Jewry and Christians and abolishing Israel. And God has miraculously delivered the modern state of Israel time and time and time again. And it would take a similar act of providence to deliver Taiwan And providence is, of course, not permitted to be taught in our schools. (laughs) No, even though the United States of America wouldn't exist without it. But, oh well. So this John S. McCain National Defense Authorization 
act is actually, it's a good thing. It is a good thing. But the idea that Taiwan is going to be able to maintain a sufficient self-defense capability versus the mammoth military machine of communist China is not realistic. It will take divine intervention and or intervention by the United States of America against most favored nation, communist China. Well, we will see what transpires. But uh, this woman leader of Taiwan, she is described as promoting independence. Of all things, promoting independence for Taiwan. Well, you'd think, well, of course. But no, there are forces on Taiwan that want Taiwan to unify with communist China. And these people, such as Tsai Ing-wen, they are fighting the battle of their life to keep Taiwan from being handed over to communist China. I think it's fascinating that at the very same time that this is going on, that Hong Kong is attempting to bring about independence for itself. That's right, the Hong Kong that was delivered up by dear old Great Britain to communist China. There are those there that are intent on Hong Kong being an independent free nation. Needless to say, communist China takes a very dim view of that. Perhaps you saw some word about all this propaganda pouring out from North Korea concerning claiming that the United States of America is plotting the invasion of North Korea. It's fascinating, really. The only thing about it that I found to be uh, enlightening was the matter of their particular intelligence concerning very specific troop movements and so forth by the United States of America. But other than that, it was just the typical propaganda. Meanwhile, Iran, dear old Iran, it is claiming right to the Gulf of Persia and the Strait of Hormuz. Well, you know, that's really not that outrageous a claim, I don't think. Iran has the longest coastline for the Gulf of Persia, which Iraq barely touches. Kuwait has a good-sized coastline, given how small that nation is. Saudi Arabia has the second-largest coastline. And then United Arab Emirates has a surprisingly long coastline there as well. And then there's Oman, which is essentially uh, only on the other side, on the eastern side of the Gulf of Hormuz. But in case you didn't hear the names of any Western nations (laughs) just given out, that's because there are none. And Israel doesn't 
come near there, doesn't come close to there. So the idea of American Navy being prominent in the Gulf of Persia does seem a little bit curious. Since all of the nations surrounding it are Muslim, all of them are Islamic, all of them are Islamist regimes, every one of them is dominated by an Islamist regime. So it does seem a little bit curious about the U.S. Navy being there. And it also seems a little bit foolhardy to me. I mean, what do I know? But it looks to me, again, you look at maps and the perspective is off. You know, things look much smaller than they really are and so forth. But it looks a bit like shooting fish in a barrel there to me, that U.S. Navy being in the Gulf of Persia, that they can be attacked not only by Iran, but by our ally, our Islamist ally, Saudi Arabia, by Jordan, by Kuwait, by the totally, completely, utterly capitalist, dare I say, Mecca of United Arab Emirates and Dubai and so forth. And then Oman. But not only can the regimes attack our Navy and with state-of-the-art weaponry, including nuclear, but in addition to that, Of course, Islamist terrorist cells operating in those areas can as well. So to me, it seems inadvisable for us to have our Navy there because far from being immortal, far from being impervious to attacks, it is not. And so I actually find myself not in agreement with the Iranian regime, but only agreeing that the U.S. Navy really shouldn't be there. And, of course, that's apocryphal. How, How dare I suggest such a thing? After all, we have economic interests there, right? Oil and so forth. But again, we don't have any national footprint. And as far as I'm concerned, U.S. Navy shouldn't be there. Because all I see the U.S. Navy being there in the Gulf of Persia and the Straits of Hormuz is a target, an exceedingly inviting target. But the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Navy General, I know General doesn't seem right, right? It should be Admiral, but General Alareza Sanseri, He said that we can ensure the security of the Persian Gulf and there is no need for the presence of aliens like the U.S. and the countries whose home is not in here, end quote. (laughs) Aliens, you know, like the movie uh, Cowboys and Aliens. Uh, (laughs) So, no, but I agree. We don't have home turf there. And so, even though it won't happen, I know for myself, I would pull the U.S. Navy out of there (laughs) in in a heartbeat. 
I just would. I don't see that as being a place where we belong at all. But uh, the Arabian Sea is another matter. But the Gulf of Persia and the Straits of Hormuz, nah. But we'll be there until we're blown out of there. Mark my words, we will be there. The U.S. Navy will be there until it is blown out of there. Well, French President Emmanuel Macron. I know it doesn't sound like a French name to me. Emmanuel, God with us. <laughs> uh, and Macron, I, I don't know. Is that a French name, really? And I'm, un- I'm undoubtedly uh, not doing a service to the correct, proper pronunciation. But the French president, he said the following, and this was to a group of French ambassadors. He said, quote, it is up to us today to take our responsibilities and guarantee our own security and thus have European sovereignty, end quote. Now, I don't understand what he's really saying there. Perhaps you do. But he doesn't say French sovereignty. Did you notice that? He says European sovereignty. And so I know there's the European Union, and it's been there for a while now. But it's interesting that later on in his comments, he said the following in criticism of the European Union. He said, quote, We are paying the price of several decades of a weakened Europe, end quote. And that was thanks, this weakened Europe is thanks to the nations ceding their sovereignty to the European Union consortium of nations, if you will, or vast coalition of the European nations, surrendering their currencies surrendering their sovereignty, which has weakened Europe. But, but for him to say, you know, we need to take our responsibilities, guarantee our own security, and have European sovereignty. So I guess he wants to strengthen the European Union. But now this, of course, comes on the heels of President Trump criticizing and, uh, I don't know, rebuking, uh, ignoring whatever various allies and even NATO and so forth. But um, Macron said the following also. Last quote from Macron. Quote, I want us to launch an exhaustive review of our security with all Europe's partners, which includes Russia, end quote. Again, fascinating, fascinating stuff here. So (laughs) Macron is concerned about French and European sovereignty and security. And yet, even though he says that the European nations are weaker because of the European Union, he wants to strengthen the European Union in order to protect and strengthen European sovereignty. (laughs) It's too strange. 
And then he's going to launch this exhaustive review of security. Okay, that sounds commendable, right? Especially concerning uh, the Russian bear and all the Islamist regimes. But he says, within the context of this, I want us to launch an exhaustive review of our security with all Europe's partners, which includes Russia. So who is it that France and Europe need to be concerned about relative to security? You know, they don't use their air force and their navy and their army to fight Islamist terrorism. Now, mind you, if the day comes that the Islamist regimes attack Europe, then in a war, (laughs) then, of course, that would be a different situation. But he's not viewing that as a possibility. Nobody's viewing that as a possibility. It's a possibility, folks, but they're not viewing that as a possibility. No, no return of the Moorish hordes, you know. No, no, no. It's just the terrorist cell groups and so forth, which the military does not engage. So what is the security? Surprise, surprise, the security concern is not Russia. That's right. Russia is not the concern. Russia is one of the partners, one of Europe's partners. Russia is not in NATO, but Russia is a partner of Europe. But the United States is not because this French president is declaring that France and Europe need to be independent. They can no longer rely on the United States for security. It's a remarkable thing. They can no longer rely on U.S. for security, and so then they're going to take their security concerns upon themselves to defend themselves, protect themselves from Russian aggression. No, no, Russia's, Russia's their partner. So who the heck are they going to defend themselves from? The U.S.? I just, it's, it's breathtaking. I don't know. I'm sure it makes sense to lots of extremely intelligent, sophisticated, renowned people. Uh, to me, it is beyond mindless. But he certainly is not concerned about worldwide totalitarian enslavement courtesy of the world planners, the societal engineers that are behind the scenes and behind the screens that are at work in Europe, in the UK, in the US, and the nationality of these people is European and British and American, even though they have zero allegiance to any nations, and that's putting it far too understated a manner. They abhor these nations, and they desire, they lust for worldwide enslavement, the same as the Islamists do. 
except just different regimes here, these great leaders would have a resurrection of the Roman Empire, a modern-day Roman Empire. And we'll get to, if, if I have enough time, I'll get to the Roman Empire in a little bit. I saw a story, and uh, the title of it was White and in the Minority. You know, White and in the Minority. Oh, my gosh, what are they talking about? And frankly, the title was wrong. It was just wrong. But it was concerning a young Caucasian couple in Fredericksburg, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, folks. This is located between Harrisburg and Allentown. This city of Fredericksburg. And it is a Latino stronghold. And this young couple are working at a mill, at a plant. And they are the extreme, extreme, extreme minority. But it's not just because they're white. It's because they speak English. And they are surrounded by a sea of people that speak Spanish. And not just you know, high school Spanish, extremely fast, fluent (laughs) Spanish, uh, like it's being shot out of a fire hydrant. So these, this young couple, these young people at this Bell and Evans plant, which is a chicken processing plant, they are just (laughs) so isolated And it makes for a very uncomfortable situation for them. But again, not because they're white. And so white and in the minority, while that's true, it just doesn't represent the reality there. If this was a black couple, it would also be true. If this was a Hispanic couple that didn't speak Spanish, it would also be true. I know, what are the likelihoods of that? Uh, But if this was an Asian couple, (laughs) it's really pertaining to the fact that they are not able to understand what's going on around them. They are not informed about what's going on. They are isolated. And it is a very uncomfortable, stressful situation. And yet, where are they? Are they down somewhere in Florida? or Texas, or Arizona, or Southern California, somewhere along the border, somewhere where there is an especially, especially large Hispanic, Latino, Mexican population. No, in Fredericksburg, Pennsylvania. In case there is anybody listening who doesn't know where the Mason-Dixon line is. This was on the Union side. This is not on the Confederate side, okay? Fredericksburg, Pennsylvania. But I just thought that was interesting, just showing, again, the extreme, extreme change in the demographics here in the United States of America I mentioned previously about uh, Daniel Murphy, and there 
just a spate of all these articles with these inflammatory headlines decrying and condemning his so-called anti-gay comments. Well, uh, to my surprise, uh, his comments seem to be basically a comment, but uh, here he is been acquired by the Chicago Cubs. I mentioned on previous program that the Chicago Cubs, in its wisdom, has two special celebrations of sodomites per season there at uh, at Wrigley uh, Field. But I didn't realize, I just, you know, too ignorant for words, I failed to realize that one of the owners of the Chicago Cubs, Laura Ricketts, supposedly is openly lesbian. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so she answered questions with regard to whether or not they had really taken his comments into account. And uh, the there was an investigation, if you will, a review, and it was by the Cubs front office and the ownership, so ownership being like Laura Ricketts, and the Major League Baseball ambassador for inclusion, Billy Bean. Oh, my word. I was, again, too much on the outs. I didn't realize... Uh, uh, <laughs> Shocked about Billy Bean. Is this the same one who's in Moneyball? You know, the general manager of the Oakland A's, Oakland Athletics. Is this the same fellow? I fear it is. I hope not. I hope it's not. But anyway, what were these terrible remarks that Daniel Murphy described as being a devout Christian had made? What what were these terrible remarks that he made? They were concerning Billy Bean. And he was asked about Billy Bean, somebody provoking him, you know, somebody entrapping him. And this is, goes back to 2015. And what were the terrible remarks that Daniel made? Quote, I disagree with his lifestyle, end quote. Oh, my gosh, how terrible. Oh, how incendiary, how discriminatory, how shameful and disgraceful of Daniel to say, I disagree with his lifestyle. Wow, just terrible. I mean, no wonder all of these sodomite activists and so forth are, you know, all a dither about the Chicago Cubs trading for Daniel Murphy. And uh, so anyway, but he also said, he also added, this is back in 2015, what were his other remarks? He said, quote, that doesn't mean I can't still invest in him and get to know him, end quote. Uh, And now, according to Ricketts, Billy Bean and Daniel Murphy have developed a friendship and they have a very positive and encouraging relationship. So just in case you were concerned. And before I go further, 
I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is good, true, right, accurate about this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's wrong, lacking, erring, failing is due to me. I mentioned about the fear, the concern with regard to the coming of the big one. The big one. No, I'm not talking about a big gulp. I'm not talking about some uh, sequel to some Godzilla movie or King Kong or something else. The big one being massive, destructive earthquake hitting California and or uh, having a string of earthquakes hitting the Pacific coast of the United States of America. And perhaps you've seen uh, various movies such as San Andreas in which various smaller earthquakes trigger or presage uh, greater earthquakes shortly thereafter. And uh, (laughs) the entire Pacific coast, not just of the United States of America, but of South America, Central America, Mexico, the United States of America, Canada, Alaska, and wrapping around, including (laughs) all of the land masses, including islands, from Russia on down, all the way down to and including encompassing New Zealand, that entire region known as the Pacific Ring of Fire, could and seemingly will be affected at the same time or in extremely close time proximity. As I mentioned here just very recently, there was a series of 69 events, seismic events, 53 of which were earthquakes, 16 were categorized as tremors. And the smallest of those earthquakes registered 4.5, all the way up to 7.8. And, (laughs) I mean, it's... This goes far beyond what has been so worried, worriedly thought about and, and analyzed and forecast and so forth concerning the big one hitting Southern California or hitting Bay Area, California, San Francisco Bay Area, California. I mean, this can encompass a region, an area that touches half of the world. And uh, from southernmost Chile on up through, again, all of Central America and all of the Pacific coast of Mexico and 
just keeps on going all the way up the U.S. and British Columbia and the rest of Western Canada, across Alaska, the Aleutian Islands, over to Russia, and then down through Asia, all the way down to New Zealand. So really terrifying. Uh, the, the potential for destruction there is extraordinary. And the map that I saw it left Korea, both North Korea and South Korea, off. But it certainly includes all of Japan <laughs> and Okinawa and Guam. And it did not look like it included Taiwan, but definitely included the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Borneo, and so forth, all the way down to New Zealand. But did not touch Australia, nor the mainland of Asia. But just a a massive area, and if it would have a replay of what happened so such a short time ago, but on a greater scale, with greater power, again, it, it would touch what amounts to essentially half the world, and could very easily touch off multiple tsunamis. And one, this 7.8 earthquake, as it measured on the Richter scale, it did not start a tsunami. Why is that? Well, they said it was too deep in the ocean. (laughs) And as far as how deep it was, it was breathtaking how deep it was. I can't remember how deep it was. It was like, is, is there really a place in the ocean that deep? It was so deep. And so it uh, did not result in a tsunami. Perhaps you saw about this little boy, toddler, two-year-old boy, who went missing in the woods in western Japan. This was a tragedy nearly, a tragedy averted. But why did it take place in the first place? Well, he was out for a walk with his grandpapa and a brother. And his grandpapa just let him go to go back home, back to the house, back to his mother. It was just a short distance. But the little tyke didn't make it home. And there was a massive, massive search effort engaged in. And ironically, the person that found him was a 78-year-old volunteer. And when he saw him, his reaction was amazing. He said, at first, I didn't think it was a human. But there he was. I thought my heart was going to stop. And he shouted for him, Yoshan, or something to that effect. And this little boy's name is Yoshiki Fujimoto. And amazingly enough, 
after three days alone in the elements, in the woods, he was okay. And the temperature was 93 degrees Fahrenheit. It got that hot. But there he was. He was sitting by a stream with his feet in the water. He was barely dehydrated even. And a few bumps and scratches. And other than that, he was fine. Amazing. Miraculous. Truly miraculous. Somebody was looking after that little guy there in Japan. Perhaps you saw about this near disaster in Mexico, an Aeromexico crash. And the plane attempted to make a takeoff, and it was during extremely stormy conditions, heavy rain, and lo and behold, it smashed into the grass near the runway, skidded to a stop, caught fire, 103 people were on board, 99 passengers, two pilots, two flight attendants. The pilot was seriously injured. The crew got everybody out safely, safely, uh, with the proviso that 49 were hospitalized. But a near disaster. And the captain suffered the most serious injury. And one passenger said, I feel blessed and grateful to God. She escaped with her daughter. But how many people would feel that way? So many people would say, <laughs> would have a very different reaction. You know, why wasn't, why did God allow it to crash? You know, and so on and so forth, which I totally understand. But her reaction was one of thanksgiving and uh, <laughs> thanksgiving to God. Not to the pilot, not to the crew, not to the aircraft, but that. Another near disaster. This one here in the United States of America, in the great state of Michigan. This woman accidentally locked her daughter in the vehicle. She had driven her two-year-old, or pardon me, two-month-old daughter to the grandmother's home. And as she got things out of the vehicle, the door closed and the keys were in the ignition and the windows were up. It was a hot day and it got hotter. And they said that the temperature inside the car could have been higher than 100 degrees. She called 911. Fortunately, seemingly, she reached an experienced 911 operator. But the dispatcher refused to send anyone to help. And... <laughs> The reasoning was, we don't send people out for keys locked in the car. What about for a baby trapped in a vehicle? No. Would not send anybody out. Now, the person making the call, I believe it was actually the grandmama instead of the woman. I'm not sure. The woman was trying to break into the vehicle to get her baby out. 
and she finally succeeded in doing so after 10 to 12 minutes. But, again, help never came. She had to do it herself. The baby was screaming, and (laughs) there were two calls made, resulted in nothing. But here was what the mother said following this nightmare. Quote, if there is a mom begging you to come save her daughter's life, you send somebody. If I couldn't get the windshield broken, she wouldn't be here right now. Well, the Waterford police chief said there will be additional training so that dispatchers know how to handle these calls in the future. Right, common sense couldn't couldn't prevail, right? <laughs> No, we need specialized training so that our experienced dispatchers know what to do to avert a disaster. Another near disaster. This one at the ocean, Panama City Beach in Florida. And a family was there in this idyllic setting. And a couple little boys were out in the ocean, and they were on float boards or something to that effect. I'm sure I'm not saying it right. But they had flotation devices, and they were pulled out by a rip current. And the mother saw this, and she threw her phone down, and she went in after them. People told me not to, but I was like, I don't care. Those are my kids, and I'm going. She thought she was a good swimmer. But the tide overpowered her. She tried swimming to the side and backward with her boys. She got to the boys, and she tried pulling them to shore and could not do so. So what happens next? Do other people come in? Yes, but not bystanders. Her 68-year-old mother and her nephew, they ran in to help, and they were dragged out by the riptide as well. It was after 5 o'clock, so no lifeguard was on duty. Oh, that makes sense. It's light until 9 o'clock or whatever, but no lifeguards on duty after 5 (laughs) o'clock. And no manner of any materials with which others might attempt to save somebody. Right? No. No kayaks. No (laughs) anything. Any flotation devices, right? Life-saving rings, buoys, and ropes attached to them that could be thrown out and so forth and swum out. No, nothing like that. And so the situation became more dire by the moment. The waves became more ferocious, wilder. What happened? Well, some of these bystanders including a young couple, had the presence of mind to engage in what used to be referred to as a Chinese fire drill, I believe. And they extended arm to arm, they linked hands, and they stretched out, they moved out as far as they could out into the surf. And this woman had, as she said it, you know, in essence, like a second wind, she had a surge of adrenaline 
and she was able to get one of the children to the line, to this Chinese fire drill human lifeline, and then another, and they were all able to make it safely to shore. No thanks, again, to (laughs) lifeguards or life-saving materials or anything like that. To which I say, Panama City Beach and other beaches, not just in Florida, but throughout the Gulf of Mexico and up the Pacific Coast, you need to do better than that. You really do. You invite these people to come and enjoy these places, and you enjoy the fruits of their visitation in the form of them doing business with local businesses. You need to do a better job and not have lifeguards be off the clock at 5 o'clock and leaving and leaving disasters and tragedies to happen. At the same time, people, too, need to be careful and look after themselves, their family and loved ones, and one another. And in this case, these strangers came together and looked after one another and averted complete disaster. You no doubt heard about this poor woman that was attacked by an alligator at Hilton Head, South Carolina, attacked and killed. She was trying to protect her doggy. She had her doggy out for a walk at a golf course. It was near the 13th hole of the golf course. Idyllic scene. When's the last time you saw a golf competition on TV, a golf tournament? I don't watch golf. <laughs> it just it doesn't fascinate me. But I have, you know, from time to time, caught a few minutes here or there, and they're referring to there being an alligator, and they laugh about it, about an alligator, and about this golfer or that golfer being afraid of them, showing some fear, and, oh, how funny, and tee-hee-hee, or what have you. Well, <laughs> Dear old Hilton Head, South Carolina, so well known for their fabulous golf courses and what have you. Maybe they should consider being on the lookout for dangers that can result in horrendous deaths of people. Just as Disney World should as well. You know about the case of the little boy, the toddler, who was attacked, three-year-old, I believe, attacked while he was wading in the water with his daddy. It was so sudden, it was so violent, the attack, the father was helpless to do anything about it. But meanwhile, and I was reading about, about Disney World and the great, great, great job they do concerning Oh, I can't remember what it was now. It had to do with cleanliness of the water, I believe. And yet, don't do such a good job with regard to the alligators. Well, it's tough. It's tough regarding the alligators and the pythons and these other noisome beasts that endanger innocent people. A preventable tragedy, another preventable tragedy, but with a less happy ending a woman who had just given birth by cesarean section died after 
EMTs refused to take her to the hospital in the ambulance and instead persuaded her mother to drive her herself. Just a monstrous, monstrous event, monstrous occurrence. And this was in Florida, in Hillsborough County. Running out of time, so won't say more about that, except there was another case of tragedy, and this being a preventable tragedy, an accident. An elderly couple were taking a trailer in the Redding, California area, pulling that behind their vehicle, and got a flat tire, and the trailer scraped the road, resulting in sparks that started a fire that became a monstrous fire close to Whiskey Town Lake that at last toll had resulted in eight deaths, including three firefighters. This elderly couple unintentionally causing this fire. There are preventable tragedies, and then there are other tragedies, and we'll talk about them on the next program. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.